and they just kicked us repeatedly. And, you know, we, for a week, we urinated blood, and, you know, we never even talked about it. And little did we know, we experienced PTSD. In My Head with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag headwithjb. That's H-E-A-D. W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 31, Vibing with the Bar President. In my head. Hey fam, it's a 2020 season of In My Head. You know, you know, you know this year gonna be lit. <laughs> yes, I have so much things in store for you. So many great guests coming through, and I can't wait to tell you who's in the studio today. Oh, man, you got to wait. You got to wait for it. But in the meantime, don't forget to make sure you're following me on Instagram at RealJBless, R-E-A-L-J-A-Y-B-L-E-S-S-E-D. And please use the official hashtag, H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B, head with the J-B. I'm getting in your head. You're getting in my head. It's hashtag head with J-B, the official, official hashtag of the In My Head podcast. In my head. This episode is brought to you by the financial support and kindness of Jay Bird, Laurel Stewart. Thank you, Laurel, for your contribution to us, the airing of this episode of In My Head. Eric L. Adams is the bar president of Brooklyn, New York City. Previously, he was a Democratic state senator in the New York State Senate, representing the 20th Senate District, which includes the Brooklyn neighborhoods of Brownsville, Crown Heights, Flatbush, Park Slope, Prospect Heights, and Sunset Park. On November 5, 2013, Adams was elected Brooklyn Bar President, the first African-American to hold the position. On November 7, 2017, he was re-elected for a second term. Adams is a 22-year NYPD veteran. 
the co-founder of 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care, an advocacy group that rose to a nationwide prominence speaking out against police brutality, racial profiling, and departmental diversity. He's also served at one time as the president of the Grand Council of Guardians, a statewide fraternal society for African-Americans in law enforcement. Through leadership roles in these organizations, Eric helped raise thousands of dollars for worthy causes across New York City. In 2016, Eric Adams was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Eric Adams lives in Bedford-Stuyvesant, where he has resided for more than 20 years. He is the proud father of Jordan and is presently running to become the next mayor of New York City. In my hat, fam, team, Jay Bless, Jay Burst, I want you to welcome to the show the 2020 edition, former president, Eric L. Adams. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Queen. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you. Thank you so much. I must say thank you, sir. Thank, Thank you, you very much for my recent citation at the 2019 Impact Awards. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you probably didn't know about it. Your team does. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I, I know, and you, you're extremely impactful. When I was a young man, I used to watch a movie called Kung Fu, and he used to walk across rice paper, and the goal was not to leave an imprint on the paper, and that's how many people live their lives. And In fact, we should leave an imprint no matter where we go to let people know we were there, and that's why you received an Impact Award, because you're impacting us all in a very positive way, and I wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you. Uh, so this show is called In My Head. It's in my head. This is my show. I can do whatever I want to do on my show. <laughs> <laughs> and I really wanted you to be here. Uh, I've watched you for many years just navigate the political scene. In addition to just being a regular guy in Brooklyn and connecting with your constituents, and I am so, so very proud that I actually was able to serve for you on your Caribbean American Heritage Committee back in 2014, actually the youngest person to do so, so thank you for creating opportunities for Caribbean people like me to serve right here in New York City. Now, I want to know, in your very own words, who is Eric L. Adams? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still figuring that out. Uh, I'm going through a period of evolution, and I have a real uh, open mind and not a closed mind as I continue this journey. And the person that I am now at 59 is not the person I was at nine and it's because of life experiences and you know I try to give people a snapshot into what made me as a person and as a human being and there were a lot of broken moments there were a lot of scary moments there was a lot of uncertainty uh, because I've always had to train harder than the next guy because I didn't have what people thought at the time was natural skills or natural abilities, when in reality, that's a farce. Uh, the only natural skills and natural ability a person could have is their determination to just continue to drive and push themselves. And I, that's, that's what I have. And I really got that from my mom. I'm close to my mom. My mom has uh, six children. 
And she loves them all, as I say, but she adores me. <laughs> the fourth in the mix, right? <laughs> That's right. <yeah>. Wonderful. <laughs> I got to say, I got to acknowledge my grandfather. Um, your your middle name is Leroy. Yes. And you're a Virgo. And that's my grandpa. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to age you, BP. <laughs> but that was just so fun when I realized, oh, my God, I love that name. Uh, so normally I ask each and every guest that comes on the show, how are you really feeling in this moment? And if you can be as honest with us as possible, how are you really feeling? And, and that's a great question to present to your guests because we don't ask ourselves that often. We are in this fast pace all the time and we don't take moments of reflection. And I am feeling good. I am the man that I've always wanted to be. And it took a while to get here because I was often defining myself by what people uh, define me as. And I'm no longer trying to protect my name. I'm trying to protect my peace now. Yes. And, I'm, and I'm at a peaceful place. I have been extremely successful. I could pack it in today and look back over the legacy and see how rich it has been. And so right now, the best term that I can give is peace. I'm, I wake up in the morning with my 20 minutes of meditation, start my day blessing um, how great life is for me, and I'm at a peaceful place, and no one can take that peace away from me. I thank you for that. A lot of people are struggling right now to find peace, mm. and thank you for letting us know that you also use meditation as a form of, of, of mental health and therapy for yourself and, and know you are one of the busiest men in New York City. <laughs> yes. and, and, and it gets really, it's like drinking out of a fire hose. Uh, if you allow it to consume you, you will never really get the things done that you believe are important because there's so many distractions. If you stay focused on the mission and not all of the, the distractions, uh, you will be able to accomplish your task. We live in a state of hating what happened in the past, fearing what's happening in front of us, and we're never living in the present. So right. I don't get caught up in those two different universes of the past, present, or the future. I'm in the present. I'm in the present moment, and I'm very mindful of that. And people really need to understand 90 percent of the things they fear never happened anyway, so they wasted their time, feared it in the first place. Just be present in the moment, be the best human being you can be at that time, and just move with the spirit, and you will do well. Wow. Mindfulness, meditation. I could hear a bit of breathing in there, like you take a couple of breaths during the day. <laughs> <laughs> so important. And you know, it's so funny you say that because go through all societies and they talk about the breath. Uh, Europeans and Americans are the only culture that fails to respect the power of breathing, the power of the breath. We don't teach children how to breathe. And I challenge your listeners, go online and do research on breathing and look at all of the other cultures and the importance of how to take in a breath. Something as important as breathing, we do not teach our children. We don't learn it in schools. You don't learn it anything, anywhere. Breath and how you breathe is 
extremely important, and you just need to take a breath from time to time. I tell my listeners all the time that breathing changes the chemical reactions in your body. Yes. And so the Jaybirds know how I feel about breathing. So thank you for that affirmation and just confirming and validating what I've been saying to my audience. Now, black man. Yes, man. New York City, black man in America. Um, and there's so many layers to who you are, and I, I can see that you're living your blessed life. You talk about legacy, what you've accomplished so far in your 59 years, and this year you will be celebrating your 60th. Yes, two, 2020. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and so we're excited about that for you. Now, I want you to be vulnerable with us for a minute because we're getting to know the man behind the title. Um what was one of the toughest experiences you've ever had to endure, and, and how were you able to overcome that? Well, first, I'm always vulnerable because I'm not ashamed of who I was and who I am. And I think that if you uh, deliver your life in front of people beforehand, they cannot sharpen it and hold it to your neck and hold you hostage uh, by coming up with surprises. So I'm clear on who I was. Uh, I, I was born in Brooklyn on Gates Avenue, and my mother uh, moved us to South Jamaica, Queens. She was able to buy a house. And while living in Queens, uh, the really the most challenging period of my life was when I was arrested at 15 years old. My brother... Uh, and I, we were beat by the police officers. They kicked us in our groin repeatedly and for no reason at all. We didn't run. We didn't fight them. They were filling out the documents, uh, processing the arrest, and they just said, do you feel like a beatdown? And they took us to the basement of, of the 103rd precinct. The same precinct with Sean Bell was killed, and they just kicked us repeatedly. And, you know, we, for a week, we urinated blood, and you know we never even talked about it. And little did we know, we experienced PTSD, and we were demasculated. We felt demasculated, and I think till this day it impacted my brother psychologically. I think he's dealing with some serious mental health issues because of that. He never healed, and I went around with that anger. And if you could only imagine, as a child, 15 years old, every time I saw a police car, I relived that encounter. Every time I saw a police show on TV, I relived that encounter. Every time I saw a siren, I relived that encounter. And it wasn't until I met uh, G.T. Weusi, Reverend Herbert Daughtry, and a group of African-American men and women who were part of an organization called National Black United Front that there was a young man uh, that was shot and killed by the police. And this organization took 13 of us and told us they wanted us to go into uh, the police agencies. Uh, Randolph Evans was a young man that was shot and killed, and the police officer that killed him was found not guilty. And the community was angry and frustrated. And so they came to us, those leaders came to us and stated, we want each one of you to go into the police department and fight, fight from within. That was traumatizing to me because I was going back into the agency that I was experiencing undiagnosed PTSD. But they, they had enough insight that they knew you're, by you going in, Eric, you're now going to 
uh, get the therapy you need because you're going to go in and fight those people who you identified as a, your abusers, mm. you know. And when I went in, I went in with a vengeance. And people used to say, you know, what's wrong with this Negro? He's crazy. He's a mm. police officer attacking them like this. But they didn't know I was on a mission. And, you know, as the creator and the ancestors are, that I was protected mm-hmm. no matter how. When you go back and look at those moments of 1984 up until 2005 and you saw what it was like for me in the police department, you had to say to yourself, as Percy Sutton once said, how are you still here? Uh, but, you know, the creator just protected me and the ancestors protected me and I was able to really fight against that racism and it was because of that, of starting 100 Blacks in Law Enforcement Who Care, that we were able to really push on those issues. I want to I want to interject right here. So, wow, that pivotal experience in your life really changed the trajectory of yes. your future. And it's I'm hearing you take that power back from the people who stole. Mm. Yes. It from you. Yes. And you took it back in such a profound way that you didn't run from it. You actually went into the police academy. I mean, this—I want you to break this down to me. Why Why would you, after being beaten by cops, decide to become a cop? And, and it was an assignment that men I respected gave me. And it was a hard decision. I remember that time of saying— you know, I can't do this. You, you know, every day reliving, you know, that abuse every day. But I felt so strongly that you could not just suppress the pain. It was not going to go away. And I wanted a real outlet. I wanted to, you know, get my manhood, quote unquote, back um, from having someone victimize you in that way. And it was right. You know, the empowering feeling I felt when I was there to fight against Luima and Zongo mm-hmm. and racial profiling and stop and frisk. Uh, it was empowering to walk in the precincts and have of uh, those officers who were racist in mindset. And I'm not saying all officers of any ethnicity, uh, they are racist. No, there was a body who was there who were. And I did not bend. I did not give in. I was consistent. And wow. that was empowering. And uh, back in 84, were you not the student or in the academy to gain the highest marks in your exam? Which is very deep. Um, I had the highest academic average in the academy. They gave the honor to a white officer instead of giving it to me. But that was the message. It was like, hey, this is what you're getting in, Eric. (laughs) You know, the ancestors wanted to let me know clear. So they gave me the second highest overall when, in fact, I learned that I had the highest overall. But I pushed through. I pushed through uh, in the academy. I excelled. And it's just such a message that excel. You know, just you have to continue to excel and uh, going through to become a sergeant, a lieutenant and a captain, uh, just continuing to excel. When I was on the captain's list, a list lasts for four years. That is one of the most prestigious ranks you can get to become a captain because you're competing against the cream of the department. And they attempted to kill the list, two names before my name. 
They said, we cannot let this guy be a captain. Because at that time, I was just going buck wild in the police department. You were a rebel? <laughs> you were, were <laughs> Eric Adams a rebel? <laughs> With a cause. And they wanted to kill a list. But the problem was, my list number was 271, and I had 200 and something people behind me who were overwhelmingly white males. And they fought not to get it killed so they had to promote me wow. but they didn't want it to happen wow and what an enemy <laughs> meant for your harm look at how god turns it around <laughs> you know for your good right listen you know, i'm joseph in the multicolored coat hey, you know <laughs> bars <laughs> god created me for the moment like this i love <laughs> it and i want to acknowledge your leadership qualities um it takes a lot um to go through, and that's just one of the things you've been through in your life, right? Uh, to go through what you've been through and to birth this deep determination to make change. Um, and you've had mentors, and now you are mentoring other young men. And I want to just thank you for that. Mm. Um, and <laughs> you were talking just now, and to mine came Sergeant Edwin Raymond. Strong brother, strong young man, uh, sergeant. I think he got promoted lieutenant. I know he was expected to get promoted lieutenant. And years ago, when he was a police officer, he reached out to me and said that he had an organization called PLOT, P-L-O-T, a good brother. And he said, listen, you know, I watched you for years. I came into the police department, and I want to do the things that you did while you were there. And he pushed against the racism in the police department. He has a lawsuit. He just won an Emmy right. for, for a documentary. For crime that he did. and punishment. Yes. What, yes. Were your, what, what are your thoughts on that documentary? Have you seen it? Yes, it's a powerful documentary in a real analysis of you know what uh, people go, people of color go through. You know, uh, you know, policing is connected to of slavery, the history of slavery. And, um, you know, when you think about why Rikers Island was open, you know, for captured slaves and why policing came about and um, some of the laws, it's all about the suppression of people of color. And so when those of us go into that agency and refuse to allow the tradition of that agency and stand up like this young brother, uh, it says a lot. So uh, I recently had a conversation with um, Edwin, and he will be on the show shortly. Great. Haitian brethren, and he was like, I love VP Adams. That's one of my mentors. <laughs> so I just want to acknowledge that he sends his uh, respect and love to mutual, you. Mutual, mutual love for him. <laughs> you are doing a lot of work. So you transitioned after being a 22-year NYPD veteran to a higher office. And let's talk about your political career for a bit. After leaving the New York City Police Department, they tried to fire me. Why? Because there was a terrorist threat in the city during the mayoral election uh, when Mayor Bloomberg was running against uh, Fernando Ferrer, and there was a terrorist threat, and they deployed police throughout the city but they did not deploy police in communities of color. Mm. That The threat was that a woman was going to have a baby carriage with explosives. And I said, why did you deploy 
police all over the city, particularly in affluent areas, but you didn't go to the Utica Avenues or the wow. Kingston Avenues. And after the elections were over, they came and brought me up on departmental charges and attempted to fire me. Wow. And there was an entire hearing in our police department trial room to take away my pension, to take away my rank, and to fire me. And what they didn't know is that I was trained by them. So before I made the <laughs> comment, I already sent my volunteers to every train station um, and, and did a sample of the population, and we kept records of where police didn't show up. So when the wow. trial came up and they said that I didn't have my documentations on what I stated, I brought out pull all the documents. Pull up the receipts, VP, <laughs> pull up the receipts. Right, right. <laughs> and we, 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 we beat their ass. Wow. <laughs> and the trial judge at the end of the trial, when he ruled, he said, I wish I lived in Brooklyn so you can be my state senator. Oh, wow. Wow. Would man meant to harm you? Listen, God, I would turn around for your good. Wow. I can see just your ancestors just... All around me. Ashe. <laughs> All around me. Ashe, Ashe. So, senatorship. Then I served in the Senate for three and a half terms. I did seven years. Very turbulent period. Um, you know, I had folks who uh, wore wires around me wow. to try to, because they were in trouble, they tried to uh, wear wire around me and um, see if I would do something corrupt. I didn't spend my life enforcing the law to go to Albany to break the law. Wow. And, you know, it was discovered that, you know, they had tapes where they would come around me and try to offer me money and offer me things. And I would tell them all the time, go play the tapes. <laughs> Let people hear what I said when people came to me to try to lure me into some criminal behavior. I didn't need to become uh, something that was a leech on our community. I came there with a mission. And so, but it was a turbulent time. It was a constant, because what's interesting when you put a blemish on the mark of a black man, no one comes back later and say, hey, he did nothing wrong or she did nothing wrong. It's about you want to keep that appearance out there in the universe. And so we survived that. And then uh, I ran for ball president and became the first uh, African-American or person of color to be ball president in the borough of Brooklyn, the third largest city in America, the but, largest borough in the city of New York. But, yes! <laughs> And for that, we are so honored to have you in the studio. I want to just acknowledge your team because you could have been on The Breakfast Club. You could be, <laughs> you know, in CNN. You could be in MSNBC. But you rolled up into In My Head with Jay Blessed. <laughs> and I want to thank you for that because... I serve a community of your constituents who want to hear the real world version of who is Eric L. Adams. And I know this particular episode is probably going to be reaching a lot more people than we expected. <laughs> um, trust. Mm. You know, how do you manage to deal with trust issues? Mm. You know, having people come around you seemingly um, with good intentions. Mm. Who don't mean you well? How keen is your spirit of discernment? Tell me, because you're look, 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 <laughs> no. And that's powerful. What, you, what you're saying that, that is so powerful uh, because our soul never lies, and the problem mm -hmm. is that we don't listen, listen to, to our soul. I say this all the you know, time, and and I know that to some people. 
I am throwing my pearls among the swine, you know. But those of us who have gone through journeys, we realize the power of stillness. And our soul will tell us when someone comes in front of us and they mean us harm. We just don't tap into it. We have Europeanized our abilities to listen to our spirit and listen to our ancestors. And it's just not, people just can't comprehend the power of that. I would not have survived who I am if the ancestors did not give me the power of discernment, the power to pick up that this person wants to harm you. Mm. And I listened extremely uh, clearly uh, to the signals, because the signals are there. You just have to pick them up. You know, in this business of politics, uh, the enemy comes in so many different directions. And if you're not really in line with uh, your mission, you'll get caught up in it. Mm. <laughs> you, you'll run around here and find yourself in a very dangerous environment and, and ask yourself, how did I end up here? Mm. And so, yes, you're right. You, you, you're saying something when you ask, you know, how do you build that trust? And it's about really staying true to your mission and staying focused on your mission. Uh, my mission is the empowerment of communities that are going through uh, the level of dysfunctionality that we have become far too accustomed to. And we are much better as a city, as a state, and as a country. And I want to show people how better we are at that. So you've dealt with all these issues from being in the PD to senatorship, uh, then now in your present position as bar president and you want to you want to run for mayor uh, why that's it. You, know, you sound like my mother <laughs> shout out to mama uh, why you know, why why uh, mom 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 said baby leave this alone <laughs> <laughs> you know i never forget you know when i was studying to become a lieutenant and I was driving down Atlantic Avenue. I made a left turn on Clawson Avenue to head towards uh, the BQE. And someone pulled up uh, next to my car, and they called out my name. And I looked over to the left just enough time to see what appeared to have been an automatic weapon. I hit the gas, and I was able to hit it fast enough that instead of the bullet hitting my window, it hit my rear window and shattered my rear window. And I went to the 88 precinct on the corner of Decal and Clawson Avenue, and I walked inside the precinct, and I was I was shook up. And I reported to the desk officer, the sergeant in charge, and I said, listen, someone just shot out my window. And he said, well, you know what, they didn't hit you, so, you know, you should just— you know, disregard it. And I said, no, listen, my name is Eric Adams. I know this is going to become some type of high-profile case. You need to call a superior down and do an investigation. And so they did that, and they never found the person who did the shooting. But would you know that I became a lieutenant from that examination, and my second precinct of assignment was the 88th precinct, wow. and that sergeant became one of the sergeants that had to report to me. Wow. 
That's how the creator is. Listen, <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps in the studio. You know, and mom, wow. that that was when I retired from the police won't, department. Won't he make your enemies your footstool, you, though? You understand? Listen, listen. And, and so when I retired from the police department, I remember um, at my retirement party, I remember hugging my mother, telling her thank you, and I felt the weight of her body in my arms, and I realized then that said mommy did these 22 years with me you know she feared and for so she safety. looked now and she says baby what are you doing come on man <laughs> hang it up hang it up don't you want to be on a vacation somewhere but I, I I thank you for your dedication to your city and to your people and you know that there's work to be done yes and I couldn't think of a better person to do that work it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot to be done but this is the moment this is the second time in my career that I'm doing something not because I want to but because I'm called to I didn't go into the police department because I wanted to I went in because I was called to I'm not running for mayor because I want to I'm running for mayor because I'm called to drop a bomb (laughs) that's the difference wow and I'm I'm, I'm honored that you know what your calling is and you're living in your purpose now you are also the co-founder of the 100 blacks in law enforcement who care. Yes. You know, and I know you know very well about stop and frisk. Yes. And as you're running for mayor in 2021, you know, I must ask you, you know, um, we talked about the trauma that you've endured. Many black people in America and specifically in New York City are suffering from PTSD. Yes. Watching the news, listening to the radio, seeing the newspaper every single day, another black body gun down. Yes. What are you going to do for New York City that de Blasio, Bloomberg, Giuliani, and previous mayors weren't able to do or even maintain? How, with your background, with your know-how, with your skill set, and with your leadership qualities, and the people behind you, and your ancestors rolling with you, what can we expect from you in regards to black and brown bodies feeling safe. And it's about safe uh, because there's no consolation prize to a mother <clears throat> if someone knocks at her door and stated that her child was gunned down by a person with blue jeans on because they were gangbanging or if that person was shot by a cop in a blue uniform right. because they mistook the child to have a weapon uh, like so many of our young men have went through. Right. And so it's about how do we create these environments where people are safe? Because public safety is the prerequisite to prosperity. Mm. I know what this city was like uh, during the 80s and early 90s uh, when many of our seniors were living like cage animals where they couldn't leave their homes. Mm. Um, I remember many uh, public housing developments where seniors and elders and families had to wait online to get into their apartments because drug dealers had commandeered their communities and many uh, cops were part of the drug trade. The 77 Monk boys used to be part of the drug um, operation, the Dirty 30, uh, those who were down in South Jamaica with Fat Cat Nicholson crew. And so we had this these co-conspirators who were supposed to be protecting us and those who were part of uh, the 
the operation that was bringing violence in our community. So it's about creating an environment where we're safe. And that's the role of the mayor. The mayor chooses the police commissioner, and he or she will choose the direction of how to use their law enforcement agencies. Hmm. The resources of policing is utilized differently based on where you are in the city. Hmm. And I know how we use policing in one part of the city and how we use it in another. And we could effectively use policing as a tool of service for people in a very proactive way, and we could prevent crime from taking place, and we could build the bridge of public safety in the process. Do you firmly believe that we could really build a friendly bridge between the public and the police department? Yes, we can, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, Folks used to fall up in my precinct when I was a lieutenant. uh, People would fall up in my precinct, and they'd be proactive to tell me about violence that was going to happen so we could prevent it. Uh, they would bring me in with their uh, their sons or their daughters who were going down the wrong road, and they would say, can you sit down and talk with them? Yes. Uh, you know, Can you show them um, what this is all about? And so if, if there's a level of trust, that's a powerful term that you used earlier. Mm-hmm. If you trust that person, you're going to see, because children would be children. I was a wayward child. And if I had that relationship with the person who was a symbol of authority, I think I would have done some things differently. And if we can build that synergy, if you could have someone like young Raymond, if you could have a, an officer who was uh, in a, a, a foster home that was able to navigate the complexities of not having a parent, and now they're a cop, and they can talk to other children who are in foster homes who are uh, basically being aged out of foster care. If you, you could have someone who stumbled, and now you have someone that can speak and communicate with them. You can build that trust. Policing is not about placing handcuffs on you. Mm. It's about creating an environment of safety in a community, and that is not how it's done in our community. All right, you seem like the guy that's going to change that. Oh, my (laughs) God. Oh, my God, Jaybirds. I think we found our next mayor. I got to ask you, because one of the platforms that I'm very passionate about is immigration, as a Mm. Caribbean immigrant. I read a blog post on CityLens.com that said, since President Trump halted DACA, Several court injunctions have kept the program open, but only few renewals, not new applicants. Thus, the number of protected dreamers is slowly going down nationwide, according to the liberal think tank Center for American Progress. While new applications for DACA are frozen, around 4,500 undocumented students graduate from New York high schools every year. Without new protections, New York State might end up funding college for undocumented students who will not be allowed to work in the country that educated them and who could be deported. What is your stance and position on new immigration reform and especially with our dreamers? No, so true. Dreamers are so important. You grow up here. This is your country. You've paid tax. You know, you you fall into uh, a grocery store. You buy uh, any item that is taxable. No one says, let me see your immigration status. You pay your taxes. You contribute to the country. This country is a country where it is made up of immigrants, particularly in Brooklyn. 47% of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home. The mecca of immigrants. It it, it really is. Uh, No matter where you go, uh, we have one of the largest immigration populations here in the borough of Brooklyn. People don't really realize that. It is true. And what I'm happy is that we are a sanctuary city. This is a safe place for immigrants. 
Much of the immigration policies are on a federal level. Where the cities come in place is that we must make sure that we don't allow ICE to go into our schools, to go into our governmental buildings, that we make sure that uh, we protect the immigrants uh, who are here and who are living here. And we're going to continue to do that and even go one step further. How do we ensure that our immigrants have a right to vote? Yes. I believe that they should have a right to go into our city services and agencies and institutions. Uh, we can do more on the city level, and we need to really push uh, the legislative bodies to make sure that we have that involvement. We need to find a creative way to allow them to continue their education. If you don't have your proper immigration, if you're undocumented and you want to get um, some form of tuition assistance in CUNY and SUNY, particularly our state and city institutions, we need to find ways to allow our undocumented residents to still participate in our institutions of higher learning to get that financial assistance that they need. You know, Trump is going to come and go no matter what, and we need to make sure that long-term plan is something that moves all the people in this city, no matter what their document status is, that they're able to continue to grow and prosper. We know that New York is a sanctuary mm -hmm. city. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that people are not living in fear All the of time. being deported. All the time. And it's real. That fear is real, and it's going to impact our senses. And that's why the best tool we can do is to be defiant. And that's if, if the only message I can put out to people who have questionable uh, documentation is that be defiant be defiant. You know, when I went into the police department, I was defiant. Uh, our DNA is defiant. You're not here in America or the Caribbean from the diaspora of the continent of Africa if you're not made up of the genetics that can survive the Middle Passage. Hmm. We are made up of the best of hmm. the best. And so in wow. that comes defiance. And wow. we are warriors. And we need to uh, understand that we're warriors. And we must be defiant. And, and not conforming to exactly. what? Exactly. I, I told right, you. Right, right. Oh, my god. That's how you fight Trump. You fight Trump by being defiant. And you fight him by going to the polls, right? Yes, yes. We need you to go out in the local elections. We need you to go out in, in general elections. We need you to participate. And for the immigrants who cannot yet vote, you still have power in mobilizing the people. Yes around you to go out Ex exactly. and exercise their civic duty. Every undocumented person knows someone that's documented. Right. <laughs> now, before you go, I know we're wrapping up, and I need to address this because food justice is a thing for me. Mm. And I know it's a major part of your manifesto. Yes. Uh, you have gone through a lot in terms of your health and yes. your diet change, and you've made some drastic changes uh, as you're about to celebrate your 60th, right? Yes. And maybe if you had not done that, we may not be even having without this conversation, doubt. right? Without, without a doubt, without tell, a doubt. Tell us a little bit more about your health challenges that I, you were able I'm, to overcome. And I'm so glad you touched on that because, you know, we're losing so many black men and women, and they don't realize that it is avoidable. Um, our lifestyles ha have forced us to diseasified our lives. Uh, you know, 2016, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I lost my sight and my left eye. The doctor said, Eric, you're going to be blind. 
Uh, I had permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet. I had an ulcer, high blood pressure, high wow. cholesterol. My PSA was high. Just lost my dad to prostate cancer, so wow. I was following the path. My sister uh, had breast cancer. She lost her breast. My other sister lost a kidney. My mother was diabetic for 15 years, seven years on insulin, high blood pressure. She was taking nine medications at the time. Wow. And my two younger brothers were going through their health care crisis as well. And when I went into the doctor's office, you know, I had an actual it was an ulcer that brought me into his office. I was having um, discomfort in my stomach, and I thought it was colon cancer because I lost a friend to colon cancer. But when I got there and they did a, a check of my colon and a check of my stomach, he identified that it was an ulcer, but he was the one that told me that my diabetes was through the roof. I didn't even know it. 30 million Americans have diabetes. 74 million are pre-diabetic. 7 million have it and don't even know they have it. And it's just destroying us, you know. And I went to five doctors, and all of them told me the same thing. They said, you're going to be on medicine the rest of your life. They gave me about seven or eight medicines for all of my health ailments until I was able to do research on my own. And I found some doctors who are now friends of mine, and they told me that it was about my food. If I right. make a lifestyle change, I could put my diabetes in remission. Three weeks after uh, going to what is called the whole food plant-based diet, my vision came back. Wow. Three months later, my <laughs> diabetes went in remission, my nerve damage went away, my cholesterol normalized, my blood pressure normalized. The ulcer who took me to the doctor in the first place went away mm. with no medicine. Mom followed me at 80 years old. She went on a whole food plant-based diet. Two months after, she called me in tears and said, baby, they took me off insulin. Praise you know, God. so... It's the food. Yeah, we had uh, uh, one of my guests who's fighting pancreatic cancer holistically mm. on the podcast. Shout out to Greg. Greg is probably listening to this and saying, yes, BP, yeah, thank yes, you for that. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. I, I, we have to also acknowledge that food justice is a big issue in it urban is. areas. It is. Right? It and really is. So I want to know what your office is doing to help make affordable, healthy, and fresh food and vegetables more available in areas like Crown Heights and East New York and Brownsville and it, because— there's Chinese food, fast That's food, right. and liquor stores in every corner. Everywhere. But when I go into the grocery store, I'm seeing refuge. I'm seeing, like, I'm not seeing the vegetables I would get in Trader Joe's or Whole Foods. Well, without a doubt. In, in, in Brownsville, you have junk food. In, in Park Slope, up east side, you have Whole Food. And it's it's food apartheid, and it's killing us. It's food killing apartheid. us. You know, food of it's just unbelievable. You need to show just on food. You know? I will. And and we have to break down this conversation into a language that people could understand and respect. Because if we try to talk over the heads of people, they're going to push back and they're going to, going to believe you're trying to tell me how to eat. No, we need to have this on a language where uh, people respect. There's a reason Beyonce is on a whole food plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason you're seeing a lot of uh, young people in the entertainment industry that are watching uh, their colleagues die. You know, we're not dying because we are just getting older. We're dying because we're poisoning ourselves. Mm -hmm. This generation is the first generation that that is predicted not to outlive their parents. Wow. That's that. Seventy percent of twelve-year-olds have early signs of heart disease. So we were able to push. We were able to get processed meat out of our schools. Yes. 
Every school should have a rooftop garden where children can grow food, serve it in the cafeteria, and learn the business industry. Uh, I'm putting uh, $16 million into NYCHA and Marlboro to build a greenhouse to show people in Marlboro, NYCHA development on how to grow their food and serve it in the communities so that we can have real food in our bodegas, in our grocery yes. stores. We're pushing to learn nutrition in all of our schools. It's not about caloric consumption. It's about healthy eating. And so we're excited about some of the initiatives, and we'll fall back in again and roll out some of those initiatives. But we're really moving this conversation forward of how you have lifestyle changes that could make sure you have a healthy lifestyle. I am probably in the best of physical and mental shape of my life. Go I tell ahead people, now. I tell people all the time, <laughs> I don't have a six-pack. I have a case. <laughs> my, <laughs> I love it. And your skin is glowing. And, I mean, I've seen you lost a lot of weight. 35 it, pounds. It, it's, it's a healthy transition to yes. make that choice to live. Yes, yes. Especially for black men. You know, yes. Especially for black men. I'm telling you. You have colorectal cancer. We oh, have prostate man. cancer. There's so many issues. It, it really, and, and I tell brothers all the time, that they don't realize how food impacts us. You know, those brothers who are experiencing ED and, you know, um, uh, er early forms of, you know, inability to perform sexually, they need to see how it's connected to their diet. They're running around taking Viagra. You need to take broccoli. Um, <laughs> um, the, the bar president has just spoken. <laughs> uh, you know what? That begs me to ask, BP. <laughs> so are you like single, single? Or, <laughs> or just privately? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I'm married to the movie. <laughs> oh my God, we're cracking up in here. <laughs> I, I, I got to ask you before you go, and we got some rapid-fire questions yes, coming up. Yes, yes. But gentrification. Yes. Brooklyn. Yes. One of the most expensive places to live in New York City. And our elders. Yes. And and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. and, Big issue. And, and home ownership. And, yes. Um, and there's an exodus of our people just moving down south now because it's so hard to live here. Mm-hmm. What is your office doing to assist residents in affordable housing and home ownership and protecting our elders from even real estate fraud? Yes, you know, so true. And we've been doing a lot around real, real estate fraud, deed fraud. Uh, there needs to be a real conversation on what the city did uh, through their uh, TPT program. The city was taking homes of people uh, for um you know, water bills and taxes, and we need to go back and make people whole on that. And I think the jury's still out. We're fighting on that. But we need to also, the city and the borough needs to must become affordable. Yes. And 100% affordable housing, we need to use our zoning to do so. Uh, some of us who who have homes need to stop being so selfish and say, I don't want any development on my block. But you see how uh, homelessness going up, 64,000 homeless, over 100,000 children are homeless. We need to really open our hearts. You just did a, a, a sleep out last year <laughs> in 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just to raise awareness on homelessness. Yes, yes, without a doubt, you know. And I was almost homeless as a child. So last year we slept on the steps of Borough Hall during the global sleep out. Uh, it was just really connecting with people who are homeless. And I know what it is to be homeless. We used to bring a black garbage bag, glad bag, to school every day. My brothers and sisters, everybody used to call us the black uh, glad bag family. They didn't know in that bag 
we had our clothing just in case when we came home, if the marshals threw us out, we would have a change of clothing. And it's traumatizing not knowing that when you go home, you won't have a home to go to. And I know what it is that people are experiencing, and that is why we wanted to sleep out and show our solidarity. But that's not the only thing we, we're doing around homelessness. We're, we're telling people to adopt a shelter. We're saying, go buy socks and undergarments. Uh, we put a couple hundred thousand dollars into a shower bus, the first of its kind in the city, where people could take a shower. Uh, we have and get a, a haircut. We part, right. We, have, we partner with a brother that has a, a mobile, mobile haircut mm-hmm. unit, and he goes around to homeless shelters so that folks can get a haircut. So we're just meeting people where they are, immediate needs, and then we're looking at the long-term needs that we need to do around homelessness and housing. Just let the New Yorkers know why they should participate in the 2020 census. It's, it's, it's everything. Sometimes people say, well, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Uh, you know, once you know the number of people in your community, it determines how much you will receive in resources. Um, everything from SNAP benefits uh, to your roads uh, to your education. If you don't have the right count, then you are not going to get the right dollar count coming into your community. And there's a biblical connection for those Christians. People don't know the time when Jesus was born in a manger of that was during the census time. Hmm. <laughs> you know, the census was going on at that time. And so we have a biblical reason to participate in the census during this uh, holiday season that people acknowledge the birth of Christ. We need to be the birth of our emancipation of not participating in how we get the resources in our community. I saw a nativity scene back in 2019 of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus all in separate cages. Mm. And I thought that was so powerful. Mm. Mm. These are immigrants. Yes. Yes. Right? And if it was 2020, this is exactly how it would look. Right? And and, and it's powerful. Women are the mobilizers in everything in life. All right? And we see a lot of violence against women. Yes. There is sex trafficking on the rise. And it's real. There are a lot of missing people and a lot of missing black women. Yes. You know, we're hearing about organ harvesting, especially in urban communities. Yes. What can you do? What can your office do to help safeguard and, and just protect our women who, especially our women of color, who are oftentimes the least regarded and least respected. So true, so true. And there's an initiative that we are uh, rolling out. Uh, Brianna Suggs in my office, I'm proud of her for doing this. She has done so much around women-related issues. Uh, she had a summit, uh, Brown Girls, dealing with the chemicals that we put on our bodies as as black women, all of the chemicals from makeup to different things, uh, not using healthy products, to now we're doing an initiative around uh, FGM, uh, female genital mutilation, a real Powerful. problem that's been uh, really uh, not examined and looked at. We're doing awareness in the task force. We're passing legislation on that. Uh, we have been big in the space of sex trafficking on telling hotels how to identify when a young girl is a victim of sex trafficking, partnering with our local law enforcement agencies to identify the problem, and just empowering women as a whole. I pay women on city government the highest proportionally than any other city agency. 
My numbers are clear that I'm not just talking about it. I'm being about it. And if we want to empower women, we need to do it in a very real and tangible way. I want to salute all the women (laughs) who work for you because they are the MVPs, okay? Mm -hmm. They're the ones that make sure you show up on time. Shout out to Jen. (laughs) Shout out to Rachel. Shout out to everyone. Shout out to Lori um, and and the women on your team uh, who support you, who lift you up, who cover you. Um, And so I want to know, before you go, before I ask these rapid-fire questions, Mm Why should we vote for you? I think it's time. I think that we are in a transformational period. I think that when you look at how countries are moving forward, it's about how do you produce a real-time government system. Our city is dysfunctional. Uh, We create crises and we govern to the crises that we created. And I think over the next couple of uh, months in this 2020 electoral season, people are going to see the clear message on how we can finally uh, move our city forward. Bishop Desmond Tutu for South Africa said something that resonated with me many years ago. He said, we spent a lifetime pulling people out of the river. No one goes upstream to find out why they fell in the river in the first place. I'm going to be a mayor that prevents people from falling in the river in the first place. Bar President Eric L. Adams, we salute you for the work that you've done, the work that you're doing, and the work that you're about to do. Mm. And I know you can count on Team J Blessed, (laughs) my whole legion of fans and (laughs) friends and family, because they trust my word. And Mm. I would never bring someone on the show here who's not of good energy. Like, we're we're, we're firm believers (laughs) in good energy, and I love your energy, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to um, run for mayor. Mm, Yeah, we need that change. So... Let's play a little bit before you get up and out of here, because you are the busiest man in New York City. Uh, you have to choose one. It's yes. either or. Okay. okay. Do not be politically correct here, okay? I'm you got to take I'm a stance. Take it as it you got to be a rebel, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here are some rapid-fire questions yes. just for you. Yes. Football or basketball? Football. Old Flatbush or new Flatbush? Oh, Marshall Montana or Bungie Garland? Marshall. <laughs> Barris Hammond or Buju Banton? Barris. Destra Garcia or Allison Hines? Allison. Ah, <laughs> let me find out. <laughs> Beyonce or Rihanna? Uh, Beyonce. All right, now. Peas and rice or rice and peas? Uh-huh, peas and rice. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, this is the best one. Chicken curry or curry chicken? Oh, uh, n- neither. No! <laughs> you got it? <laughs> he doesn't want to upset his Trudy or guy in these people. <laughs> sugar cane or footprints? Sugar cane. Yo, big up to the sugar cane family. Uh-huh. Yo, Mayor Eric L. Adams. <laughs> I'm making that declaration. Uh-huh. Bar President Eric L. Adams, we salute you. We thank you so, so very much. Is there anyone you'd like to acknowledge before we wrap up this episode? Uh, just mom. Just mom. Just mom. Amazing warrior. Love her. And I see her as a symbol of all those moms that have, they all have calluses on their knees from just praying to mm-hmm. save my child mm-hmm. and my children. And her prayers from then still cover you now. Yes. 
Bar President Eric L. Adams. Thank you so much. Thank you. For being here on In My Head with Jay Blast. <laughs> Thank you. We're blessed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. In My Head. Do you wish to advertise or become a sponsor of Head with JV? Whether it's reaching a weekly local audience in New York City or globally, we can assist you. Make sure to email info at jblesses, I-N-F-O at J-A-Y-B-L-E-S-S-E-D and reach audiences in the United States, the United Kingdom, Jamaica, Trinidad, and Canada. In my head. Wow. What a powerful interview. Um, For many of us, we may not have even known half of the things that our bar president here in Brooklyn has endured in his young life, teenage life, in his adulthood, and coming into his 60th year, he is definitely sharing pearls of wisdom, and we are so grateful that he took time out of his very, very, very busy schedule to come into the studio today. Man, man, gee, that was lit. (laughs) Here's a man who's been through some things in life and has a heart for people. And though he may not be Caribbean, he does hold power and influence that affect the lives of many Caribbean immigrants living right here in Brooklyn and the city of New York. For the New Yorkers listening, I'm not here to tell you who to vote for or force anyone down your throat. I've never been that type of person. I'm just a keen reader of energy, and I wanted to bring the bar president on so you can hear what you would not hear on other interviews, what you would not be able to feel on other platforms. Um, He brought his authentic energy, his vulnerability, his transparency. He brought his 1,000% real black manness, <laughs> And I love it. And I'm just grateful that we can promote him on the show. Now, I'm welcoming any other mayoral candidate. You are welcome to come on board and be a guest. We would love to have you. We would love to hear your story, not just your political manifesto, but also Who are you as a person? Let us get to know you. You know, bring your receipts. (laughs) Let's fact check you, right? Tell us really what's really going on with you. Let's ask you the hard questions as well. Let's ask you, you know, how do you propose on bringing change in our community and our society? And so, Bar President Adams, we so appreciate you for taking time out of your day. And people, listen, like I said before, there are a lot of Caribbean immigrants that cannot vote, but it doesn't mean you don't have the power to influence and to encourage and mobilize the people in your life, in your household, in your apartment complex, on your block, in the bodega, in the barber shop, to go vote. These are the elections that are very important. People forget about local elections. Local elections are very, very, very pivotal towards general elections. And so I encourage you, I implore you to get out there and and make your voices be heard and ask these politicians the hard questions. That's what they're there for. They're there to serve you. They are there to be of service to us. Much love once again for making time out of your schedule. And thank you to the bar president's team. And yo, y'all keep sleeping on in my head, son. 
want you to underestimate me. <laughs> I'm the same Jay Bless you saw last year. I'm just a little bit flyer now. <laughs> a little bit more mature, a lot more healed, and bringing you guys some really great content. So thank you so very much. So what's playing in my head? Woo! With all this good energy and the ancestors all around us, yo, I gotta pull up some James Brown. Oh, black and proud. Say that loud. <laughs> Former President Eric Adams is on his way to becoming the second, the second African American man to hold the title of mayor in New York City. The second? The second? Yo, I know there are other candidates. And I'm not swaying you, but I'm just saying. I like what he stands for. And um, I want someone who's authentic. I want someone who, who understands the police. And this man not only understands the police, he was once a police officer. You know what I'm saying? Rose up through the ranks to captain. I trust this guy. You know? So hopefully we can have some more mayoral candidates. If not, listen, I might, you know what? We gonna claim it right now that we, when Borough President Eric Adams becomes the mayor, <laughs> we gonna have the first official interview <laughs> as mayor of New York. Yeah, I'm claiming it. Yo, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your Wednesday to listen to yet another episode of In My Head.